Part 3, How to Deal with the Impending World Crisis If the framework for handling personal crises can be used as a reference for national crises, does the framework for coping with national crises have the same usefulness for world crises? Let's start with some background information about world crises. Diamond points out that human civilization today faces four major global threats. The first threat is nuclear war. On August 6, 1945, the atomic bombing of Hiroshima killed about 100,000 people instantly. Since then, the fear of massive nuclear war has been a constant part of our lives. The Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962 nearly triggered a nuclear war between the US and the Soviet Union. After a cooling-off period, both sides entered the nuclear-balancing game of mutual assured destruction. As a result, no one would dare to consider using nuclear weapons. But by the late 1990s, the US had the largest nuclear arsenal. Russia, which had experienced the collapse of the Soviet Union, was wrongly defined by the US as a weak and second-rate power. Further, the United States led NATO in a policy of intimidation and containment of Russia. Such a move made the probability of an escalating conflict between the two sides much more likely. In the event of a large-scale conflict between major powers, nuclear restraint would immediately become an uncertain factor. America obviously hasn't learned from Finland's experience. Finland respected the Soviet Union and, later, Russia. In return, Finland received demilitarization of its borders and increased trade. If the US really wants to reduce the risk of nuclear war, it needs to learn from Finland and make peace with its rivals. In addition to the nuclear war, there are other variants of the global nuclear threat. We witnessed a very dangerous and irresponsible move in early 2021. When the Japanese government announced that the country planned to dump huge amounts of nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant crisis into the Pacific Ocean, it was inconceivable that the US government immediately expressed its understanding and support. It was a dangerous and irresponsible decision. The second global threat is climate change. The process of global warming is advancing because of the impact of human activities. To leave a habitable planet for future generations, we need to reduce the burning of fossil fuels and use more renewable energy sources such as wind, water, and nuclear power. Diamond jokingly says that it's a bit ridiculous that the US is opposed to promoting wind power just because the rotation of windmills can kill 45,000 birds and bats each year. Diamond adds that if people are genuinely concerned about birds and bats, they should focus on cats first. The 45,000 small animals killed by windmills are only equivalent to the number killed by 150 cats. The third threat to humanity is global resource depletion. Many of the Earth's resources are non-renewable, including oil, minerals, forests, etc. Resource depletion is a matter of national security for every nation. Considering that these resources are common necessities among countries worldwide, a resource crisis in one country implies an identical crisis worldwide. Ecological resources such as oceans, which are shared globally, are easy to deplete and difficult to replenish, so they can be considered as non-renewable resources. Yet, we are still turning a blind eye to something as vicious as the dumping of nuclear wastewater from Fukushima into the sea. The fourth global threat is inequalities in living standards. In terms of per capita emissions such as plastic waste and greenhouse gases and per capita consumption of resources such as oil and metals, the figures for first world countries are 32 times higher than those of developing countries. Global inequality and inequitable distribution of resources has led to a variety of problems. 
Of course, everyone hopes to enjoy the living standards of developed countries but, unfortunately, this is something that the Earth's resources won't allow. Perhaps the real solution is to start with the waste of resources in developed countries, rather than limiting the ability of other countries to develop. So what sort of help can the personal crisis framework and the national crisis framework we discussed earlier provide in the face of a world crisis? Unfortunately, Diamond suggests that the crisis framework doesn't seem to apply to solving world crises. We'll find out why as we look at a few examples. Factor 4, get help from other nations. Sadly, we aren't in contact with another inhabited planet from which we could seek support. Earth is a lone star of life, and we have neither friends nor external help. We can only rely on ourselves. Factor 5, learn from others. However, it's a plain fact that there is no other world experience for us to learn from. After all, we cannot access a parallel world. The world we can feel is the one that is in front of us. Due to civilization's exponential and rapid development, historical experiences are increasingly less suitable for solving today's problems. That also eliminates factor 8, learning from the past experience. Factor 6, of course, is also of no help. Humanity lacks wide acknowledgement of a shared identity. Same situation applies to factor 11, humanity lacks shared core values. As for factor 1, worldwide acknowledgement of our world crisis, factor 2, worldwide acceptance of responsibility and factor 12, our freedom of choice, we have none of these. Luckily, there are still three routes toward tackling global problems. These three routes are already being implemented and once played an important role. But we can't know too much about their potential efficacy in the future. The primary path to global crisis resolution is bilateral and multilateral agreements between nations. A typical example is the Paris Climate Accord. The administration of US President Donald Trump withdrew from the pact, but his successor Joe Biden's administration is trying to rejoin. This is a good sign. Many crises are not just matters for individual countries, and no nation can solve them alone, we all have a part to play in improving various bilateral and multilateral agreements. The second path to global crisis resolution is agreements among a region's nations. A classic example is the European Union, EU. The most advanced set of regional agreements in the world among the 27 member states of the EU has set a great example for the world in terms of free travel, tariff reductions and currency circulation. As a regional agreement, China's Belt and Road Initiative concept is a noteworthy and new attempt in this regard. The third route to international crisis resolution is world agreements. Typical examples are the UN and the World Health Organization, WHO. Without hesitation, the Trump administration ditched these global organizations and left them to their fate. By setting a poor example once again, Trump did nothing to resolve the world crisis. We want to see the US on the front lines of handling world crises, not exacerbating them. Thankfully, the Biden administration is returning to these agreements. That concludes the third part of this bouquet. Here we explained the four world issues that may cause damage to human civilization on a global scale. While the national crisis framework doesn't apply to solving world crises, the various agreements between nations are by far the best path to solving global problems.